Thank you for tuning in to Valley Rise Church. We're so glad you decided to join us today. For more information on sermon series and service times, you can visit us online at valleyrisechurch.com. Thanks again for joining us. We hope you enjoy today's message. One of my favorite um, sayings about Christmas, and, and my mom had it up in our house like my whole life as a kid, and, and it wasn't until recently I walked into their house and saw it, and it kind of just like started to resonate in me. And it, she has a little sign, and it says, wise men still seek him. And like I've, I've read that like a hundred times, a thousand times. And you just go like, yeah, wise men still seek him, okay, whatever. And there was something about reading it this last week as I begin to prepare for this message. That it, 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 it's so weird how God does this. You can look at something a hundred times. You can read something in the Bible a hundred times. And there's, when God wants to speak something to you, there'll be a moment where it just does something different inside of you. And it was one of those moments for me. As we continue the Christmas story in this series, I want to read to you Matthew 2, 1 through 12. Jesus was born in Bethlehem near Jerusalem during the reign of King Herod. After Jesus' birth, a group of spiritual priests from the east came to Jerusalem and inquired of the people, Where is this child who is born king of the Jewish people? We observed his star rising in the sky, and we've come to bow before him in worship. King Herod was shaken to the core when he heard this. And not only him, but all of Jerusalem was disturbed when they heard this news. So he called a meeting of the Jewish ruling priests and the religious scholars, demanding that they tell him where the promised Messiah was prophesied to be born. He will be born in Bethlehem in the land of Judah, they told him, because the prophecy states, and you, little Bethlehem, are not insignificant among the clans of Judah, for out of you will emerge the shepherd king of my people Israel. Then Herod secretly summoned the spiritual priest from the east to ascertain the exact time the star first appeared. And he told them, now go to Bethlehem and carefully look there for the child. And when you've found him, report to me so that I can go and bow down and worship him too. And so they left and on their way to Bethlehem, suddenly the same star that they had seen in the east reappeared. Amazed, they watched as it went ahead of them and stopped directly over the place where the child was born. And when they saw the star, they were so ecstatic that they shouted and celebrated with unrestrained joy. When they came into the house and saw the young child with, his Mar with Mary, his mother, they were overcome. Falling to the ground at his feet, they worshipped him. Then they opened their treasure boxes full of gifts and presented him with gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Or as my son Eli says, gold, Frankenstein, and myrrh. I'm like, I don't think they brought Jesus Frankenstein. He's like, that's what Miss Abby said in kids' class. I'm like, <laughs> I think you misheard that. <laughs> Gold, frankincense, and myrrh. I, I oftentimes have read this and thought, how do we know they didn't say Frank's incense? We don't know. You know what I mean? Maybe it was Frank's incense that he brought him. And myrrh. Afterward, they returned to their own country by another route because God had warned them in a dream not to go back to Herod. The wise men made the spiritual journey and the beginning that all of us have to go on in our life. All of us that start a journey with Jesus have to go on the same journey that we saw the wise men go on. I love the journey of the wise men because they really were the first people that were seeking the light. Jesus in John says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. I oftentimes will meet with people who are atheists or agnostics, and, and they'll say, I just want to search for truth. A lot of them say that to me. I just want to search for truth. And my response is always the same. I'm so glad because if you are truly on a search for truth, your search will lead you to Jesus because Jesus is the truth. 
He doesn't just proclaim to know the truth. He embodied the truth in flesh. So if you're on a genuine search for truth, your search will lead you at the end of it to Jesus. And I've watched it happen countless times. The wise men were on a search. I love what I love about the wise men's story is that when you think about it, they didn't didn't have GPS, they didn't have Google, they didn't have anything. They saw a star rise in the sky from the east, okay? So maybe they were China, maybe they were Asia, maybe we don't know. It just says they were wise men from the east. They are following this star across the world on a hope. On on a hope that that they're going to get to the end of where this star is and they're going to experience something that's been promised. They travel across the world on a hope. Think of how crazy. I'm pretty sure none of your spouses could convince you to travel across the country following a star on a hope. If your wife came home and said, babe, I saw this star last night and I just felt something special. I don't know. I feel like we need to follow it. You'd be like, are you smoking crack? Follow the star. What do you, where did you come from? We just need to follow the star. It it sounds insane today, but it's what the wise men did on a hope they saw a star and began a journey to Jesus. All they had heard were stories. All they had read were prophecies. And now they see a star come out into the sky. It really is crazy when you put yourself in their position and they go, we've got to follow. This is the star. This is the time and we have to follow it. And they began following the star Seeking a hope. I think all of us are on a journey with Jesus where we're seeking the same thing. We're seeking a hope. A hope that he could change our lives. A hope that he could change our families. A hope that he could change the people around us. A hope that we could experience him. A hope that that what we've heard about was true. A hope that all of us are on a journey seeking the same thing the wise men were seeking. A hope in Jesus. The wise men's journey consisted of three things I want to talk with you about today. Number one, the wise men sought him. They sought him. How do you seek Jesus? How do you seek? We don't have the star. Jesus isn't in Bethlehem. How do you seek Jesus today? I read, uh, I watched an interview today with an organization that studies all of the, 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 processes and the habits of people's Bible reading, okay, interacts with the Bible. They poll hundreds of thousands of people to understand what does Bible reading do in your life. This blew my mind. The guy sits down and he says, here's what we discovered. We discovered if you read scripture one time a week, okay, the effects of it on your life are negligible. Not, there, was, there, was no, there was no nothing. They have a, a graph, okay, and it's nothing. Two times a week, nothing. Three times a week, there was a, a little heartbeat on the graph, just a small little, little heartbeat. There was, there was something there happening in people's lives. He said, but what we discovered is when we got to four times a week, it went from a little heartbeat to off the charts of God doing things in their life. And the guy says, okay, well, like what? God doing things in their life, what does that mean? I want to tell you what he said. He said, if you will read the Bible four times a week, Feeling lonely drops 30% for polled people. Anger issues drop 32%. Bitterness in relationships drop 40%. Alcoholism drops 57%. Feeling spiritually stagnant drops 60%. 
If you're feeling spiritually stagnant, I encourage you, get in your word. What does seeking Jesus look like? It looks like getting in your word. The Bible says that the word of God is living, sharper than a double-edged sword, able to separate bone from marrow. That means when you read it, you're not just reading the word of God. The word of God is reading you. It is working on you, and as you fill yourself with it, we begin to see all of these things. Feeling spiritually stagnant drops 60%. Viewing pornography drops 61%. And this was the craziest thing. He says, people begin to share their faith. It jumps 200% with how willing people are to share their faith to people around them. By reading your word four times a week. Wise men still seek him. I don't know if you're a learner like me. I'm, I'm a learner. I'm, I have, um, you, y'all do like the Enneagram, anybody, any Enneagram fans in here? Everybody's got their number now. That's like the thing of our generation. People just walk around, right when you meet, hi, my name's Christian, I'm a seven. What are you? You're a two? Oh, a four. Ooh, okay. And everyone who's a four in here is going to get offended. It's okay. Um, <laughs> so if you study the Enneagram, you'll get to fours and you'll be like, I get it now. That makes a lot of sense. Um, Everyone's on the Enneagram. I love learning about it. And when I learn, it's like I, I, get like, I get like obsessive with my learning. Do you guys do that? I'll lay in bed and Alex is like, what are you reading? It's one in the morning. I'm like, I'm just reading Enneagram types. She's like, why? I'm like, I don't know. I can't stop learning. I just got a thirst for numbers. I got to... I, when I get into something, it's like it, it, it involves my whole mind. I get wrapped up in it. And as I read this, I thought, how many times am I willing to seek knowledge, to seek understanding, to seek creativity, to seek other things in lieu of seeking Jesus? In lieu of spending the time, I'm so convicted at times when I wake up, and I've, I've now put a routine in my life I encourage you to do. How many of you have the Bible app on your phone? The Bible app, it's so easy. If you don't have it, download it. It's amazing. It has like every version of the Bible, every translation. It, they, they give you a verse of the day. If you're too busy to read your Bible in the morning, they have a button you press, and it reads your Bible to you. Okay, so like you can get in the car, put it on your phone, on, in your, plug it into your car, and it will read Scripture to you. We have like no excuse to not be in our Bibles in 2019. It will read it to you. So I get up in the morning and now I have a personal conviction that I've established. I don't do anything on my phone until I first open up my Bible app. Doesn't matter. I don't do anything. I could have 100 missed calls. I could have, I'm going to open it up. I'm going to click on it. I'm going to read the verse of the day at a minimum. And then I'm going to go do whatever else I need to do. Because I've realized so oftentimes I'm willing to seek out everything else that's going on in my life. And not seek out the thing that can change my life. We have to seek Jesus. They sought him. They traveled across the seas. They traveled across land. They followed a hope to find Jesus. As I was writing this, I realized that whatever I seek, I will find. Jesus says, seek and you will find. Ask and it will be given. Knock and the door will be opened to you. But you know what the truth about that is? Whatever you're seeking, you're going to find. If you're seeking riches, that's going to be what you find. If you're seeking relationships because you're lonely, that's going to be what you will find. If you're seeking sadness because that's where you let your mind sit all day, that's going to be what you will find. Whatever you put your heart, mind, body, soul, and spirit into seeking, you will find. We have to be seekers of Jesus. Number two, they worshipped him. First, they sought him. They traveled to seek him. Two, they worshipped him. I love when they come to Herod and it says, they go to Herod and say, where is, we're here, we're traveling to find the king that's going to be born. We want to worship him. And then the next line says, and Herod was terrified. 
You know why Herod was terrified that they wanted to worship Jesus? The same reason that the devil is terrified when you want to worship Jesus. Because what he's after is your worship. He is after your worship. What is it? How do you worship? It's whatever you spend your time to. It's whatever you give your money to. It's wherever your energy goes. It's wherever your focus goes. That is what you are worshiping. It's, it's why the devil got kicked out of heaven. Because he goes and they're worshiping God and he goes, I'm the greatest singer in heaven. They should be worshiping me. I'm, look how beautiful I am. They should be worshiping me. And when he thinks that, immediately he positions himself against God. And it says that he was cast out of heaven like lightning. What was he after? He wanted the worship that belonged to God. What was Herod after? He wanted the worship that belonged to Jesus. What is the enemy after in your life? He wants the worship that belongs to Jesus. He wants your time. He wants your energy. He wants your money. He wants your emotions. He wants your thoughts. He wants you to be fixated on worshiping everything else but Jesus. How often do we take time to worship Listen, worship changes everything. The enemy hates when we worship Jesus. He hates it. He hates when we sing. He hates when we praise. He hates when our worship is directed to Jesus. The first thing I tell anyone that calls me when they're going through a tough time, and, and many of you have had this conversation with me, that people will go, I'm, I'm, I'm depressed, I'm so anxious, I'm, I don't know what, and I always will go, listen, get alone, put on some worship music, and begin to worship. Because when you do, worship changes everything. There's something about the, the worship that we direct towards God. The Bible says that, that the earth is the Lord's footstool and all that's in it. And I think that when we worship, just like Paul and Silas, if you know the story of Paul and Silas, they're trapped in a jail cell. They begin to worship and as they worship, the walls of the jail cell fall down and they literally just walk out of the jail. I think when we worship, it moves things in our lives. I think when we begin to worship God, God begins to go, I, there's something that I hear, and I don't know what's going on, but I, I hear someone worshiping me. I, I can't negate the fact that people are worshiping me. My children are telling me how wonderful I am. They're talking about how awesome I am. They're talking about how strong and mighty I am. Well, guess what? When you talk about how strong and mighty he is, he shows up with strength and might in your life. That's a great time to clap. We will become a clapping church one day. He is after our worship. I encourage you, start your day with worship. I get up in the morning and I put on my Alexa and I go, Alexa, play, you know, whatever. Whatever playlist I'm currently on. And that's how I start my day. God, I just want to worship you. God, I just want to remind you how awesome you are. God, I just want to tell you that you're amazing. It is so hard to start your day with scripture and worship and have a bad day. I promise, if you don't believe me, try it. It is almost impossible to start your day off by reading your Bible, worshiping God, proclaiming how awesome he is, and then walking out and feeling like anything can touch you. Because you know what? When I remind God of how awesome he is and how in control he is and how much he's looking out for me and how much he loves me, it's really hard to walk out and something bad happened to me and be like, God, why would you let this happen to me? No, because then I just go, God, you're in control. I don't even know. I don't even know why this happened. But God, you're in control. I established my perspective on our relationship first thing in the morning before the enemy had any chance to get his foot in the door of my day. I have to begin my days by seeking Jesus, by worshiping Jesus. When I worship, the devil hates it. The devil, for those of you who don't know, Lucifer was the angel of worship. He was the worship leader in heaven. 
So you know what he hates? He hates when you take what he's really good at and redirect it back to the person who created it. It's why you go to Nashville. You know how many ex-worship leaders and ex-people who grew up in the church are in Nashville doing music? All of them. Because I am fully convinced the enemy is after the gift of worship in our country. I believe he's after the gift. He hates when we direct praise and worship to God. Well, then guess what? If that's what he hates, that's what I'm going to do. Like my dad has told me my whole life, I don't always know what God wants me to do, but if I know what the devil doesn't want me to do, that's what I'm going to do. If I know what the devil hates that I do, I'm going to do the opposite. I'm going to do the opposite of what he doesn't want me to do because that means it's probably what God wants me to do. What does he hate? He hates when we worship. What are we going to do? We're going to be people that worship our God. We're going to remind the enemy every day when we get out of bed, you're not in control of my day. God is in control of my day. He's in control of my holidays. He's in control of my family. He's in control of my relationships. Because listen to me, holidays are a great time to get really stressed. It's a great time to wake up first thing in the morning and think about all the stuff you have to do. It's a great time to wake up in the morning and think about all the people that aren't going to be at Christmas, all the people that are going to be at Christmas, all the people you want to see, all the people you don't want to see. <laughs> it is a great time for the enemy to wake you up with those thoughts. And what is our counteraction? It's to go, no, listen, enemy, if that's what you want me to set my mind on, I'm going to set my mind on the word of God. I'm going to seek him and I'm going to worship him until my situation changes. You know what I love about them seeking to worship God was at the end of it, they weren't seeking the star. They weren't seeking religion. They weren't seeking Mary or Joseph. They were seeking Jesus, the person of Jesus. They weren't after a religion. They didn't go across the country going, we're going to get there and we're going to find, you know, Baptists. Baptist Jesus is going to be there. It's going to be awesome. They weren't thinking about any of that. They were thinking about we're going to get there and there's going to be the king of kings. There's going to be a child who's going to change everything. There's going to be a person that eternity is stopping for in this moment. If it was important enough for God to stop the heavens and earth and have this star to follow, we want to get to the person that this is happening for. Because he is who we're seeking. We don't seek, the, the problem is sometimes we make it like we're seeking everything but Jesus. We're seeking religion. We're seeking church. We're seeking do good. We're seeking be better. We're seeking a person who can maybe help us do better. We're seeking, when at the end of it, we just need to realize our goal as Christians is to seek Jesus. And the closer I get to Jesus, all the other things happen in my life. The further I get from Jesus, the worse everything gets in my life. Because Jesus is the truth. My goal is to get as close to Jesus as I possibly can. Oftentimes, as a pastor, people go, you know, do you counsel a lot of people? And I do. Do you, do you, you know, do you, what do you tell people? Do they come to you and tell them what you do with their lives, and then you tell them what to do with their lives? And I think it's a misunderstanding of what a pastor's job is. Because to me, what a pastor's supposed to do is get people as close to God as I possibly can and as close to the people of God as I possibly can. And when you're close to God, you don't need me to tell you what God wants you to do. God will tell you what he wants you to do. He is fully capable of speaking to you like he's fully capable of speaking to me. My job is to get you as close to Jesus as I can so that now you understand how to have that relationship with him. But it starts with us seeking him, us worshiping him. And then number three, they left different. They left different. It says they left there so ecstatic. At the end of that, it actually says they left there and they went a different route being warned in a dream. 
Because what Herod's plan was, was to come and kill Jesus. Herod, after this, when he realizes that the wise men aren't coming back and they've tricked him, tells them, kill all the children, all the males under two years old in the country. He was trying to stop Jesus from taking his throne. He thought it was a tangible king that was going to rise up and take his throne from him. So he goes, kill everyone under the age of two. So it says the wise men, being warned in a dream, left differently than they came. How many of you know when you get close to Jesus, we have to leave differently than we came? I, I, I in the morning, start my day with so much on my mind. But you know what? I leave differently when I walk out of my time with Jesus. I leave differently after I've spent that time getting close to him. I leave differently after I've spent that time worshiping him. I leave differently towards my family. I leave differently towards the people I work around. I leave differently towards my children. Because I cannot be with Jesus and have the peace of God and walk out and yell at my kids. I cannot have the peace of Jesus between me and God and walk out and be frustrated with my wife. Married people, let me just tell you this. Your relationship here directly mirrors your relationship here. And if this is right, normally this is right. And vice versa. I cannot be at odds with my wife and at peace with Jesus. You know why? He created it that way. So that we would always be pushed back to him. Because it is impossible to do it without him. Listen, y'all know, married people, marriage is hard. I love when I do premarital counseling with people and they're like, we're going to get married. We're just, you don't understand. We're best friends. It's going to be awesome. We've never fought, Pastor, ever. Have you ever counseled someone who's never fought? I'm like, no, but I counseled a lot of people who thought they didn't fought and then killed each other after they got married. <laughs> it is impossible to do without Jesus. It demands that I spend my time with him so that I can have something to pour out in my relationships. Hey, if your relationships are struggling, if you're angry, if you're frustrated, if you're anxious, if you're depressed, are you seeking Jesus? Because we can't seek him and not change. We can't worship him and not change. Oh, it takes some time sometimes. But the word of God is faithful. And as I read it and as it reads me and as I worship him and remind him of how in control he is, I begin to change from the inside out. Things happen inside of me that are different. The reaction I would have had two days ago after I haven't spent time with Jesus, now that I have spent time with Jesus, is a totally different reaction. My wife now knows this, which is good and bad. Because when I'm frustrated, she goes, have you, have you been in the Bible lately? Have you been praying? Did you pray today? I'm like, that's none of your business, okay, first of all. <laughs> Get off me. It's between me and Jesus, okay? She knows. When I'm at that place, she can look at me and go, hey, you need to spend some time with God. And that's the scariest thing I can hear because that means she doesn't even want to argue about it. She's just pinning it between me and Jesus. She's like, we're not even arguing until you talk to God. I'm like, golly, why would you go talk to God about this? And normally I'm wrong, just so you know. That's how it works. You go in the room, you close the door, you go, God, is it me? It's me, isn't it? Okay, I'll go out there. Walk right back out. It was me, and I'm sorry. God said it was me. You didn't say it was me. He's right, not you. I'm going to go back in here and spend some time. <laughs> It is impossible for me to seek Jesus and not leave differently. Joey, you can come up as we close. I love, that's why we do 21 days of prayer. We're going into January, and in January, we do 21 days of prayer and fasting. If you've never done that, I encourage you to participate. It's going to be amazing. What is 21 days of prayer and fasting? 
at the beginning of our year in January and in the middle of our year in August, we take 21 days and we as a church will get up and pray. Normally I go online and I'll post videos. Once we get our building, we'll be able to do it at the building, which will be awesome. But that'll be August. Yes, that'll be great. So we wake up at 6 a.m. and we spend an hour of our day creating a habit with Jesus, praying, spending time together, praying over what God wants to do in our family, casting our cares on him. And it takes 21 days to build a habit. So if you will do it for 21 days, the important thing that we're trying to get is create a habit of spending time with Jesus. All of us fast something. Most of us on the team, some people fast social media. Some of us actually fast. There's all kind of different fasts you can do. And the whole point of it is refocus my year. Before my year starts, I want to start it the right way with Jesus. I want to refocus everything. I want to remove everything else that's going on and go, Jesus, what do you want 2020 to look like for me? And the best way I can do that is by getting close to him every day and spending time with him. Why? Because it's how we seek Jesus. It's how we seek Jesus. I cannot be on a spiritual journey and not be seeking Jesus. You ever find people that are on a trip and they don't know where they're going? They're, they're called crazy. That's what those people are called. There's no, that, that's the, the people that wander aimlessly and they're just like, I don't know where I'm going. I, just, I have a friend who's traveling across the country. He kind of left everything, and, and, and it's, it's a whole other story. And I go, well, where are you going to go? And he goes, just, I just feel like I'm just supposed to go. I'm like, well, where? Just wherever. I'm like, that sounds kind of crazy, to be honest with you. Like, I love you enough to tell you, I think maybe you're losing it. I don't know. Because you can't be on a journey that doesn't have a destination. If I'm on a journey, it has to have a destination. And the journey of Christianity, the spiritual journey that all of us are on is a journey of seeking Jesus. It's a journey of ending somewhere. And there's a process to this journey. And there's ups and downs on this journey. And it's okay. Jesus is comfortable with the journey. But we got to set our compass in the right direction. And the GPS has to end at Jesus. I can't be on a spiritual journey and not be seeking Jesus so I've got two questions for you today. What are you seeking? What are you seeking in 2020? As we get ready for the new year, I encourage you sit down and, and, and reprioritize your life and come to a conclusion of what you're seeking. It, is it, is it a, a great job? Is it as a career? Is it a relationship? Is it a... We did a series a couple months ago, and I love it, because oftentimes when I tell people that, they go, yeah, you know, I am seeking a relationship. I am seeking this. And I go, that's awesome. The beauty of seeking Jesus is he says, seek me first, and all of these other things I will add to you. If you will get the main thing right, everything else will fall into line. Hey, what are you seeking? The holidays, what are you seeking? Are you seeking something from your family that can only come from God? Are you seeking something in your marriage that can only come from God? Are you seeking something personally in your spiritual journey that can only come from Jesus? I encourage you, reset your compass. Wise men still seek him. Number two, what are you worshiping? One of the most convicting things I've ever read, I was reading a book one time and it said, whatever you give your energy, your money, your emotion, and your time to is what you worship. And I had to have a moment of honesty with myself where I, where I took inventory of what I spend my time on. Inventory of what I spend my money on. Inventory of where my energy and my emotion go to. And I had to be honest enough with myself to go, 
I may say I'm worshiping Jesus, but my life wasn't worshiping Jesus. I might say that's my end goal, but it hasn't been. What are you worshiping? And listen, don't let the enemy convict you. Don't let him condemn you. Okay, get alone, figure that out. And what Jesus does is he goes, that's awesome. Let's get back on track and let's keep going. Let's figure this out together. We're on this journey together. And the goal of the enemy is to throw you off any way that he can of that journey, whether it be distraction or condemnation. But I encourage you, take inventory of where you are at spiritually on your journey and reset that compass as we go into this new year. What are you worshiping? What are you seeking? And is it in line with what you say your spiritual journey consists of? Because the truth is, just like over 2,000 years ago, wise men still seek him. Would you bow your heads with me? Jesus, we're so thankful. We're so thankful that on this journey of life, you are the destination. You are the end goal. To arrive at a relationship with you, Jesus. A relationship where we worship you and you change us. Jesus, you never called us to change before we got to you. You called us to worship you and allow you to change us from the inside out. Jesus, today I pray that as we go into this new year, that we would reset our compass. That we would ask ourselves the hard questions of what am I seeking? What am I worshiping? And God, allow you to tune the parts of our hearts that you need to, to calibrate our journey, God. So that when we arrive, we don't arrive at an unknown destination, but we arrive at Jesus. Today, God, I pray that you would bring clarity to each and every one of our hearts and minds. That the Holy Spirit that lives inside of us would direct us like only he can. We love you, Jesus. We're so thankful that you did come down. That you stopped eternity to spend a moment with us. So that our lives and our existence and our earth would never be the same again. Today, Jesus, we worship you. We say you are amazing. You are wonderful. There is no one like you. You are the King of kings. You are the Lord of lords. You are the Prince of peace. God, forgive us for ever worshiping anything other than you. Today, we reset our worship. And we put it back on you. Now, with every head bowed and every eye closed, there may be some of you here that go, Christian, I, I, I've never started that journey. or I've, I've thought I've been on that journey, but honestly, Christian, if I'm honest with myself, I, I didn't have a destination. But today, I, I want to begin that journey, and I want the destination to be Jesus. Today, I want to I create a moment in my life where I reset my GPS, where I recalibrate where I'm going that I make Jesus the Lord of my life, that I put him where he belongs, that I worship him, that I seek him, and that I allow him to change me from the inside out. With every head bowed and every eye closed, between you and Jesus, I just want to pray with you. If that's you and you say, Christian, today I want to start that journey, would you just slip your hand up for me so we can pray together? Amen. 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 
Now we're going to pray together. And you can pray it out loud. You can pray it in your heart. As long as you mean it is what I'd ask. This is between you and Jesus. Dear Lord Jesus, today I realize my need for you. Today I realize that you are the way, you are the truth, and you are the life. And Jesus, I need that. Jesus, I believe that you came from heaven to earth to live a perfect life, a life I never could have lived. And then, Jesus, I believe that you died on the cross to pay for my sins, to pay a sin bill that I incurred, but that I never could have paid. And, Jesus, I believe that you, on the third day, rose from the dead to give me new life, freedom, and hope. Today, Jesus, I choose you. I choose you to serve you, to seek you, to worship you, to make you the destination. Thank you for doing for me what I could never do for myself. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Hey, would you give a hand to those that just made the greatest decision of their lives? Thanks for listening to this week's message. We hope you'll stay connected by following us online. You can find us on Facebook and Instagram using at Valley Rise Church. We hope you enjoy today's message and we'll see you soon.